Hello and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, we've just finished watching Southland Tales, which is on movie for the next uh, week or so. I've wanted to see this since... I mean, since it came out, really. It came out in 2007, and it was kind of panned at the Cannes Film Festival, despite being up for um, the prizes. It was Richard Kelly's follow-up to his debut feature, Donnie Darko, in 2001, mm. which was also not that well-received at the time, but it, like two, three years later, people started to fall in love with it and realise... And it was, became basically a cult classic. Yes. I remember it being so popular with a certain type of student that I felt compelled to see it. Yeah, kind of, you know, it was one of those films that, like, students were buzzing about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember... um, I remember we all watched it when we were 17 or 18, I suppose, maybe 16, at my mate's house on a tiny little telly. You know, we're all packed into the room. We've got WKDs, and it was, you know, sort of an after-school party thing. And um, maybe because it was such a small room and people were talking and stuff, I was kind of nonplussed by it at the time. And I've never really reevaluated it since, although I know I'm being unfair to it. Mm. Um, so it didn't hit me in the way that it hit lots and lots of people. Mm. But I do kind of get it, you know. Um, and this always sounded interesting. And Richard Kelly was very young. He made this when he was 29 years old, Southland Tales. Right. Has he made anything else since? Yeah, a couple of years later, he made a film called The Box with Cameron Diaz and Frank Langella. Um, which again I'm interested to see, and it was about a button. It was it was a kind of a, a Twilight Zoney thing I think about Frank Langella t- shows up and he has this box with a button in, and if you press the button then you'll get a million dollars or something. But someone somewhere in the world will die. I think that's the idea, yeah. and it sounded kind of I've interesting. Never seen it. And it, it was it was uh, received better than this was. So this is just sprawling. Um, yes. It's set in a. Uh, alternate USA of 2005 initially where Texas is attacked with two nuclear bombs and America just kind of explodes and shuts down and gets into a world war and so on and so forth although it's never explained who uh, perpetrated this attack and I think it really doesn't matter it's about the American response you know Hmm. and then the majority of the film is set three years later in the run-up to the 2008 election amongst a kind of diverse and disparate cast of characters there's porn stars there's a big shot Hollywood star who's written a script. There's the government people and, and people in the, the political circles who are trying to rig and engineer the election. There's a kind of German mad scientist who's invented perpetual motion machine, or per- yes. perpetual energy. There's all sorts There's going on. Sean. Yeah. Well, there's Sean, yeah, in, in weird makeup, and I really liked him. I liked him. And I must say... It's completely understandable to me why the film was so badly received and why it was such a flop. It cost seventeen million dollars and made less than four hundred thousand. But I, it's it's a mess of a film. It's such a mess. But in some ways, I rather liked it. I can't say I liked it. I mean, it took me four tries to see it all the way through, right? And partly that's because movie kept breaking up. You know, I was trying to see it in my bedroom and it's a bit distant from the server so you know it wasn't very strong so that was the first reason you know the second time I you know I fell asleep at it the third time I fell asleep at it again and it was only today when I made a project of seeing it in the middle of the afternoon and you know really focusing on it that 
I was able to see it all the way through. So I think it's a film uh, that's very, very ambitious, uh, that there are a lot of things that I love. Actually, I would even go so far as to say that uh, I've never seen Dwayne Johnson better. Yeah. And also Jason Timberlake. Tim Timberlake? Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. I've never seen him better in a film, you know. He's really, really good, really attractive. He's very compelling. You can't take your eyes off him. Mm. You know, it's the only film that I've seen him in where he actually comes across as a film star, right? And actually, it might be because his face is disfigured by makeup, so he has a different look, yeah, than, than, the, 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 yeah, than the look that he has normally in other films of his real face. There's something slightly wonky about his real face, actually, <laughs> I think. What did you make of him in The Social Network a couple of years after this? He plays very good, but I thought, I thought you know, 90% of his performance was the director. Hmm. Yeah, he is filmed as Satan, right? <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's always kind of in a certain kind of light, hmm. right? So, uh, you know, it has a brilliant effect, but I'm not sure how much that's due to him. Yeah, whereas in this one, you know, he is just very compelling and sexy and loose and charming, yeah, kind mm. of all the things that you you expect of a film star. And it's full of interesting ideas. I did think that this is a man or a director who doesn't know where to put a camera. I right? agree with that. That, you know, there are such interesting visual ideas and yet they're never conveyed interestingly visually. There's one which I think is, there's one image that really stood out to me, and I think it's maybe the only one in the film that is actually a valuable image, which is um, Sean William Scott uh, and the mirror and the, and the delay of his reflection. Oh, yes. You know, there's something about that which is, like, which is a world that's in question and, and a, a psychology that's in question, and nothing is quite what it seems right now, but, but still the reaction to it isn't overboard. It's just kind of, he, he has this very deadpan reaction there's a delay in my reflection he says so that i thought well, was let's, wonderful let's maybe agree and disagree because i also think that that is partly what i'm talking about that it's conceptually wonderful hmm. right it's a wonderful idea <laughs> right but actually you could imagine a better director having filmed it better and more interestingly because what remains interesting is the concept yeah, someone's looking at themselves in the mirror and there's a kind of a delayed reaction and, you know, kind of the way that it's dramatized. But visually, it's like somebody just plonked the camera there in mid-distance, you know, in a kind of uh, a widish lens and that's it. You know? I know what you mean, but I think part of what uh, what appealed to me about that image was, was the um, sort of lack of response. Like I say, like Sean William Scott's character doesn't overly react to this he just kind of accepts it and and i think the camera being just kind of sat there and taking it in as it does um is doing the same thing and i think because it's also an image that i think takes me a, it took me a second to realize that's what was happening with his reflection you know like only after he moved a few times and then started doing it to himself like deliberately waving his hand to, to check that's when i realized oh there is a delay in this like it's a weird effect you know mm. so I, that kind of um, uh, sure i would i would I would chalk that up to a happy accident, actually. I mean, you know, Maybe. there's never a sense in this film that um, you feel that kind of there's any poetry in the visuals. Mm. 
right kind of you know mm. they're, they're very pragmatic so it's a very disjunctive film because on the one hand it's so smart and it's got such wonderful ideas and you know it's conceptually brilliant i think right um you know there are things about it that i would love if only they had been filmed more stylishly mm. i mean so even for example that bit with justin timberlake where you know it develops into a 1930s type of musical number with the legs and yeah. so on right like you know i mean somebody else would have just put the camera a little bit lower a little bit higher a little bit closer yeah or created different dynamic patterns and it would have been dazzling yeah i mean it really struck me there that the camera is constantly on this essentially mid shot of justin timberlake and even when it pans away to something else it's still just doing the same thing and so the dancers behind him and the and the dancers on the sort of arcade machines putting their legs up they're not shown off to their best advantage they're just kind of stood behind him and you can't really see yes. them properly it's not contributing to conveying anything the visuals are are are, are very bog standard whereas actually i think the concepts and the situations and the imagination that's gone into the writing of this is extraordinary right so there's just that odd disjuncture yeah, and in, and when you think about the writing, it's a film that to me feels kind of simultaneously over and underwritten, in that it feels overwritten in that it's so trying to stuff so much in. Like there's so many conversations going on in the film and so many ideas, and it never has time to settle on anything. And at the same time, all of those ideas are you know underdeveloped in some respects. And I I I kind of I could imagine it working really really well as like a cable drama, one hour a week for twenty episodes kind of thing. It reminded me in some respects of a TV show called Flash Forward, which was about this kind of rush to the end of the world sort of thing. Had that feel, but at the same time, you would lose something. You would lose what's cinematic about it. And although the camera may not be used as well as it could, it feels ambitious. And it kind of it, I think there are times when it moves really smoothly. And and when I finished watching it, I thought, oh, I've seen something big here. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean, actually. It, it's weird because it feels like an important film, but it also feels, at least to me, like a bad film. Yes. You know, one of the things I've been watching a lot of, I'm now, you know, I've been watching a, a Burt Lancaster film a day. <laughs> and I'm now in this period of the early 60s where he's making a lot of social issue films, right? So, you know, The Young Savage is about juvenile delinquency. Judgment at Nuremberg is about the Nuremberg Nazi trials. And, you know, kind of uh, Seven Days in May is about, you know, kind of an attempted coup d'etat in the U.S., right? You know, and kind of, an, and, you know, I was looking particularly yesterday at Judgment at Nuremberg and I thought, oh, my God, you know, this, is, this film is so preachy, right? Like, you know, it, feel, it, it feels it has all the answers. And actually, I think this film is also quite uh, full of ideas of what society is like. Uh, it actually doesn't feel preachy, even though it has a distinct point of view. So I'm not making the same kind of criticism as I'm making a judgment at Nuremberg. But actually, the, these other uh, Bird Lancaster films that do feel so preachy and so on, they at least engage you emotionally. So part of the way that they think they are doing this job is to get you to identify and to understand and to feel for the people that you're watching. And actually, this is a film that's full of intelligence, it's full of brilliant ideas, and I wasn't engaged with any of them. Yeah, mm. Actually, I didn't feel for anything, I didn't care 
what happened and there seemed to be no suspense. I actually think I never fully understand oh, yeah. what was going on and what, how all the pieces fit together, right? So, and I think that's a problem in a film where you, you know, you come out having felt, well, I, it's not true. I laughed. Yeah, I found some things quite funny. Mm. And actually, I was very charmed just by uh, um, The Rock. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Dwayne Johnson. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and actually, I also found most of the actors had a lovely turn. They were very amusing. I think yeah. it's extremely um, well cast. I think it's really, yes. really well cast. And all the actors are used well. And I think it's interesting that there's, there's at least three actors who have... Um, uh, they were alumni of Saturday Night Live. There's Amy Poehler, John Lovitz, and Nora... Um, what's her name? Nora Dunn, who was on it in, I think, the late 80s. And I, and I think that speaks to the kind of pop culture satire it has going on, because Saturday Night Live is full of that, you know? And, sure. And that's kind of... And this is like a two-and-a-half-hour sort of attempt at that, in some respects. Well, I have a feeling that if, if the actors knew what they were doing, they came across very well. If they didn't, like Mandy Moore, they come across as awful. Which one was Mandy Moore? Yeah. Uh, Mandy um, Moore was oh, they, the wife. Yes, the wife. Who is completely leaden and off uh, throughout. So the film does have this countercultural sensibility. I also thought the music was interesting, hmm. you know, in that respect. Yeah, kind of the score is by, by Moby, who's in, um, you know, in very bad uh, odor at the moment. But, you know, who at that time was kind of like the latest cutting edge person and i actually i love the soundtrack to this very much i think his score is interesting because it, it counterpoints i think the funny side of the film and i think the film is full of jokes and full of good jokes and it made me laugh a lot um and the film is 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 imagining a very absurd uh, america a very absurd uh, pop culture and a very absurd politics and you know you can say all those things about how, how it's not that far off and how we've got close to that these days and it so on feels and so forth. very contemporary <laughs> you know there are, there are things that resonate but I think there are things that resonated back then I mean I think that's why Richard Kelly was able to generate these ideas and they're not totally unique and there was a film called Idiocracy uh, from around this time maybe a few years earlier that that was had some similar ideas about the kind of way America was going culturally um, but I, th I think it's very funny, right? But the absurdity that is funny, like abs absurdity isn't in itself always hilarious. It can be saddening or scary or disillusioning and all those kind of things. And I think that that's what the music kind of adds in tone, this sense mm. that while the jokes are jokes and they're funny, there there's a weird disillusioned tone that hang overhangs it all. You know, yes. so it sets up this weird counterpoint that I really, really enjoyed, and I think the tone it sets is is really strong. Uh, yes, I don't know. I mean, you know, for, I mean, for me, it's one of those things. It's one of these films that works in moments, right? Um, there are things that I think are absolutely brilliant. The car advert, mm. you know, where the where the cars, uh, the animated section where the cars, you know, fuck. Uh, it's it's brilliant, you know, kind of. I mean, I think that was worth seeing the film alone for just to see that, really. Um, but nothing hangs together. You no, know, no, it doesn't uh, at all. No. <laughs> uh, and actually, I suppose it's one of those things that kind of, you know, make you think about what is cinema, really. So the film is made right on that cusp of the move to digital, isn't it? Yeah. 
It's like yeah, it's, it's in that it's in that sort of era, and then in the next film, in the box, Richie Kelly's next film, he did he uh, had Frank Langella's face kind of horribly disfigured, and they did that digitally rather than with makeup. Right. So it's a film that kind of you know makes you ask those questions because I do think that visually it's so uninteresting, it's so poor, hmm. right? Um, and yet, kind of, it's full of brilliant ideas. It's full of brilliant moments from actors. You know, there are moments that you respond to, right? Um, but to me, it's a film, a film that has kind of no poetry <laughs> mm. and also that has no emotional resonance. Mm. Yeah. I totally agree it's, with that. It's, it, yeah, there's not you know, a single character not that a good you film. emotionally <laughs> connect to at all. And that is a problem. I think there are time, there are moments when you might. I think there are moments with Sean William Scott the kind of two incarnations of his character who have, they have sadness inside them. The one who's kind of let down his mate in Fallujah, he's back from the Iraq war and he, he hangs on to this sadness inside him. But at the end, when his, his kind of twin um, forgives him and helps him kind of let go of that, like that should feel cathartic yes. and expressive. And it, it doesn't, it feels quite flat. And it doesn't, and it's not uh, uh, Sean William Scott's fault. Because actually, one of the things that I was thinking of, because, you know, um, the director is very good with actors, I think. You have to give him credit because so many of them come across as, you know, at least as attractive as I've ever seen them. And actually, this is this is one of those that also made me think that, you know, Sean William Scott could have been a movie star, right? Because now the film is almost, what, 15 years old or... Yeah, and you wonder, you know, what 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 has Sean William Scott been up to, right? Like, you know, he had he had such a um, he was huge in the in the early two thousands. Yeah, and the the American Pie films and all that stuff, mm. uh, and then he kind of disappeared. And actually, he's so attractive in this film. Yeah, he's he, he's both good and attractive. You know that it makes you wonder, like. Yeah, why why didn't other directors use him better, really? The last 10 years for Sean William Scott, I'm just looking at his credits here, since 2010, when he did Cop Out and uh, showed up in Jackass 3D, he's mainly done Final Destination, Ice Age, and uh, an American, another American Pie film. So like, he's really done almost nothing in the last 10 years, and I, maybe he's just got wow. other interests or something, I don't know. At least that's in cinema, maybe he's done more in telly. Yeah. No, he's not really done any more in telly. Don't know. Well, how? Because I miss him. I think I think he was great. He was always very good. Yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, this is this is what's odd about the film. I think the film conceptually really does speak to our moment. Actually, again, maybe I'm reading everything in terms of coronavirus. You know, but a lot of the things that the film deals with is being discussed now. So passports between states. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, things like that, right? So you're looking at an America that has been entirely corrupted uh, uh, by corporate culture. That's a mixture of infotainment and porn and politics. Yeah, um, mm. that is uh, a post nuke and on the verge of the uh, between post nuke and apocalyptic, uh, where law and order has 
has fallen down. It's, you're dealing with a failed state, really. Mm. I mean, all of those things resonate with... The surveillance state, the importantly. There's the thing set up about the US, US ident, I think it's called, which is basically... And this is pre-all the Edward Snowden revelations that would come out sort yes. of six years later, um, about how the NSA actually is looking at everyone. And this is a very obvious extension to the Patriot Act, as it's put in the film, that, that means there's fingerprint ID to get into computers and things, and, and the government is just looking at you all the time. Um, I suppose the, the only difference is like in the in this sci-fi version, everyone knows it. Whereas it would be a few mm. years before people would start to know it here, and people react differently as well. Like, what do, maybe do, do they act differently? I think actually in the film, people just kind of go about their business, don't they? Still, you see the revolutionary yes. group that's trying to fight the system, but most people just carry on, which they do now. Yes, I mean, yeah. I, th- I thought I, I also think it had a a really really strong sense of place the film and i think it speaks to the fact that probably all the money was spent on locations and production design because i think all of that is really strong you feel that this is south uh california and, and kind of la and venice beach and it, and it's not just that it looks like it because that's where they are but you feel the sun bearing down on people you feel the kind of compression of people in this in these spaces you feel the kind of the idea that this should be a beautiful free place with the beach just next to you and at the same time you can't really do anything you feel oppressed I, I think I think it has a really strong sense of all of that I think it's maybe too cynical so for example you know when you have the resistance groups that are all these Marxist you know resistance which I thought was interesting to, to make the resistance Marxist rather than libertarian or yeah it's mm. But then, you know, to have it really just be a kind of a corporate hack, yeah, that basically all of this is really being financed, you know, by the Wallace Shawn character, who actually is using all of this resistance stuff to gather information. Yeah, so the film is kind of cynical, cynical all the way through. There's a film that offers no way out, right? Well, well, I think the thing is that's interesting is the only way out is death. And I think yes. his kind of right-hand man character, or I should say right-hand woman, who's called Serpentine, I think, the Asian lady. Um, yeah, by Ling or whatever. She was wonderful. Yeah, She has a kind of... Um, she has a kind of noirish sort of femme fatale thing going on. Also slightly racist, exotic kind of character, sort of visual design, I think, going on. Um, but she has this thing where you read... In, or at least I did. I read into her character that she knows more than she's letting on sort of thing. And... She know when when the film starts to kind of gather pace towards the end, towards the end of the world, because we are in the end of days here, and people start talking very openly about these are the last three days left on Earth and what would happen if these if you're if you're the version of you that had gone through this rift touched you, you know the world would explode, which I thought was kind of fun as well, like the idea that you have all these films that have. Um, time travel where you go and don't go back in time and then meet your past version of yourself because the world could explode well this is film that does it you know he meets a past version of himself and they touch and the world ends um but with her character it's like wallace sean who is kind of behind all of this isn't doing it to destroy the world he's doing it to control the world and yeah. she clearly knows that's what he's up to and she lets it happen because she could intervene and try and stop things if she wanted to. And I think what her character is kind of saying, the only way out of this, the only way to prevent him from succeeding is to let the world die, to let the apocalypse happen. And, and similarly, there's a thing, at least three times it happens, where people point guns at their heads and say, do this thing or I will shoot myself. Like, that's the last resort to get people to do what you want. Move to the back of the ship or I'll shoot myself. You know, let go of my hand or I'll shoot myself. And I think the film 
it's interesting you saying that you know, it speaks to today and there are things you, that resonate with today. I think actually the film really resonates with the time that it comes from. Because and, well, and it but goes, it's not an either-or situation. I'm not saying that it doesn't resonate. It no, clearly no. also resonates with, you know, uh, 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 September 11 and all of those things. But it also resonates now. I think. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't mean to say this one or the other, but but I think it's easy to overlook that because it's it's the film. I think is such a product of its time because you talk about the the neo-Marxist uh, revolutionary group being mm. interesting. Well. You, you have to remember that this is a, this is a world before America started to kind of change with Obama. Like Obama people hadn't really heard of even at this time. So this was a kind of this was the post nine eleven Republican, heavily Christian, uh, heavily warmongering state where everyone was a neocon. You know, and they were coming up with these, all these justifications for war. So, so the idea of the kind of the revolution being left actually at the time, I think. It actually would have seemed kind of surprising. Like th- those ideas weren't really in in the in the water supply at that time at all. They really are now. These things, the ideas of bringing down the banks and universal basic income and making things fair and so on and so forth since the financial crash. But they weren't in the water supply at the time. So I think it kind of it, it seems very sci-fi for the time it comes from. Can we talk a little bit about the voiceover? Yeah, because yeah, you mentioned the religious element, and of course, I think the voiceover is a complete and utter mess. <laughs> but it's also very interesting. It's a mess because, you know, you have introductory voiceover for the first 20 minutes of the film. It just goes on and on and on, right? Uh, and I thought, I thought it was very messy. Uh, on the other hand, this whole thing of Revelation 1, Revelation 2, mm. yeah, there are these things that I couldn't be sure whether they were actual citations from the Bible or they were like mock citations from the Bible that, you know, spoke to the narrative. But in either of those cases, it's interesting because actually the whole narrative is threaded through with a religious, I wouldn't say perspective, but at least a gloss. Yeah, a kind of religion is structurally necessary in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson's character has has these tattoos on him of different kind of the relate to different religions different religious figures and i think when he he stands on stage at the end in the in the blimp and he you know stands with his arms to the side in that very classic um crucifixion pose his back is bleeding and his back is where the jesus one is and it's as if to say like the end of days is real because jesus is bleeding <laughs> you know and at the end the sean william scott characters um i'm sure they have dialogue that relates to oh no no it's, it's the voiceover talks about him as uh, the true Messiah doesn't it the new true Messiah my friend Sean William Scott who I was at war with uh, who I was in the war with it's it is it's threaded through from the start with revelations and it is it hangs over it again like the score does with this end of days is coming you know yeah. you, I mean you don't feel like anything anything positive can possibly happen in these people's lives <laughs> from the start yes actually it's very interesting because. You know, one of the things is um, you get a lot of talk about sex, uh, but the only moment of sexiness or of real desire is the bit with the Justin Timberlake where he does the musical number, you know, and then a woman gets between his legs and he does this cute little tongue hanging out thing. And you go, oh, yeah, he's really into it. Right. The rest, you have porn stars, you have sexual blackmail. You never feel anybody's turned on by anybody else. Yeah. No, that's of. true. 
Even uh, though the porn stars are always talking about teen horniness. They say teen horniness yeah. is on the rise. <laughs> but you don't see any. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't see any of it, really. Uh, and likewise with love, yeah? Kind of, you have father-daughter things. It seemed completely cold. You have husband-wife things with no feelings, you know, evident between them. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's really a world without feeling, you know. Yeah. To just briefly go back to the thing about the time it came from, one film that really struck me as being relevant or comparable is um, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Never seen it. Oh, well, it's probably not worth talking about too much then. It's from 2004, but just, I mean, that's another film that was heavily panned at the time, although it was never, ever going to go to Cannes. But um, Mm. it was, and I think it was panned for slightly different reasons than this, although I think they share a kind of kinship in that these were young directors who had made uh, films that really struck a chord in Donnie Darko Mm. and um, Sixth Sense, and and these were both seen as disappointing in all sorts of ways. Um, But it's a film that, it comes out of the Iraq war again. It comes out of the American sort of um, American fears and reactions to the Iraq war. And it's done through a sort of horror thing. Um, I, I don't want to say too much more about it. Cause actually I think you should really see it. It's, a, it's an interesting film and much better than it was ever uh, received as. I think it's had probably a, a critical acceptance in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, it just struck me as something very similar that it, they, they, these, the two films speak to a state of mind that is that is like post nine eleven pre Obama America, in a nutshell. Yeah, that's what these films feel like. All right. Um, anything more you want to say? Well, you know, I've talked a lot about the things that I liked, and and because there were lots of things that I liked, and um, I suppose I'd rather concentrate on those. But it is it is important to say that it's a hard film to recommend because it is, as you say, a mess in all sorts of ways, and the ideas and the things you can talk about and think about are so much more interesting than the way that the film is executed. I would recommend it nonetheless. I mean, in fact, I would highly recommend it, you know. I mean, I think it's one of those films that is a mess, right? Uh, You know, there's no question about it. But I think just because it's a mess doesn't mean that it's not worth seeing. I mean, I think, you know, it's a mess of somebody who seems very, very brilliant. It's full of interesting ideas. You know, it's full of... Uh, uh, exciting moments from actors whom you would not expect that from. Uh, I think it's got uh, uh, The Rock, to me, at his most attractive, you know, because I've always, I've always thought he was very charismatic, but actually, you know, I'm someone who was kind of repulsed by that body, you know, it was like, you know, it's almost like too poppy. Here he looks like a real person who's fit rather than you know, somebody who's had all kinds of chemicals injected into him. (laughs) So, you know, that could... And maybe it's just that he's younger, but he's extremely charismatic and attractive. Uh, So there's lots of reasons to see the film. And I think primarily, uh, one, uh, it's, it's a film that's effervescent with ideas that are not fully realized cinematically, but nonetheless keep popping up and delighting or making you think. Hmm. So that's enough to recommend it to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I wouldn't want to get people to get the wrong impression and say, you know, oh, you'll love every minute and it makes sense all the way through because it definitely don't. <laughs> you know, so it's one of those advise advisedly. I recommend this. It's interesting, but you won't actually enjoy it. <laughs> Maybe. 
Well, to be I fair, it's, we saw it on Mubi, and Mubi have put it up under the name Perfect Failures. They're putting up a, yeah. a, a string of perfect failures, and this speaks to that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the right rubric uh, under which to see it. Uh, so I think, you know, if you are interested uh, in ideas, you know, this is one that's full of them, you know? So, uh, and it'll certainly lead to very interesting conversations, you know, even though the film is very uh, uneven, to say the least. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.